I had been recommended to help Uber with some brand stuff and doing a lot of work directly with the CEO. And he, at some point, sat down with me and was like, what are you doing next week? And I was like, I don't, I don't know, I guess coming into Uber. And he was like, nope, I'm going to have you go to Miami next week. And I need you to plan a creative campaign that is amazing and gets the attention of everyone in Miami and gets the attention of the government and the press. And, and I need you to come up with it and do it all by Monday. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. And hello there. Welcome to Louder Than Words, where we're providing a glimpse into the lives of some of the most innovative entrepreneurs, writers, designers, just creators in general. I'm John Benini. I'm a conversion copywriter by trade, also a high-five enthusiast, but that doesn't really go along with my day job. Just thought you should know that. You can find me at johnbenini.co or on Twitter at Benini84. Uh, But more importantly, today I'm hanging out with Helena Price, a commercial freelance photographer who quit the tech industry to follow her passion and take photos. And wow, has she made the most of it. Helena's portfolio reads sort of like a who's who in Silicon Valley. She's done photography work for places like Airbnb, Dropbox, Google, Medium, Pinterest, SoundCloud, Square, Twitter, Uber, just to name a few. Oh, and places like Nike in there too as well. Basically, she's the Annie Leibovitz of the tech industry. Uh, Last year, she was named one of the top 30 most influential photographers on the web by Huffington Post. So I'm super, super excited to have Helena here with us today. Helena, welcome. And how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. I am good. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited when I got, um, you know, sort of referred and, and, and introduced to you. And I was expecting, oh, cool. So like a freelance photographer, she's probably super great at what she does. I'm going to see these like really beautiful photos. And then I go on there and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. She wait, she does all the she does the photography like Airbnb and Twitter and and all of a sudden I got like nervous. I was like, "Oh man, she's she's a big deal." So <laughs> so I appreciate <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I appreciate you taking some time out to to hang out today. This is going to be fun. Oh, totally. I'm excited. So, before we get into anything else, tell people a little bit about you and what it is that you do. Okay. Um, well, I take pictures all the time. Um, I have been taking pictures since I was 6, but now I do it both for fun and for money so that it consumes my life. I do a lot of commercial work in the tech industry and I do, you know, pretty much every moment I'm not working, I'm taking pictures for myself. So that's my life. That's pretty descriptive. So when, when and how did this, this love affair with photography begin for you? Well, it began when I was about six, like little tiny Helena (laughs) and my dad used to use these disposable cameras that you just would buy at Walmart. I grew up in a tiny town in North Carolina. And so I picked up photography from that, basically. I was like, that's cool. I want to use this disposable box picture-making machine. And so I would take pictures of everything, um, starting as a little kid through elementary school, middle school, high school. It was never really an artistic thing for me. Um, It was more just like as soon as I started, I was just – Like, I've got to photograph everything. And that's pretty much what I did um, up through college and until I came to California and started working in tech. 
what's funny too about sort of your timeline is like your life has sort of paralleled this like insane technology advancement for taking pictures. So like when when you were a kid, you had these little disposable cameras and, Mm -hmm. you know, these little, you know, you had to like wind them up to take a new picture. And then, you know, you kind of had the flip phones that had like those really grainy, crappy picture quality, but that was cool just to have like a camera on you at all times. And then, you know, all the advancements with lenses and now iPhones like take better pictures than most digital cameras did 10 years ago. In fact, probably all digital. So like you've seen this like insane uh, just technological advancement in your passion. What what has right. that been like to you to have all these like? Because you know, I I I look at myself as a writer, but like writing hasn't really changed that much, besides like the way I approach it and what I consume and what I read. But for you, <laughs> your passion, like you've had all these changes take place. What is that like? Yeah, it's been fun uh, to to see how excited I've been about different cameras over the years, like. I knew nothing else but disposable Walmart cameras, and I thought they were the best. And then I ended up getting a actual film SLR from my mom. I found it in a in a yard sale box for five dollars, and I was like, "You can't sell this, and I'm gonna just take it from you if you're gonna sell it for five dollars." So then I started shooting on a little nicer film camera, and I was like, "Wow, these are so much better." And then I got my first digital camera when I was like thirteen, and it was. Oh my God. It was like it was mind it blowing, right? the tiny, well, it was so bad, but it was amazing that you could like magically see these pictures on a box. The pictures were probably like smaller than your laptop screen in resolution. Like they were <laughs> so small, no focus, totally fuzzy. But like, I was just, it was so amazing to like, look, these are me and my friends, like really blurry on the screen. And, and then, you know, in high school, I got to learn Photoshop in my graphic design class. And that was like, then I was super into photoshopping everybody's faces and I was really bad at it. So everybody was like distorted looking, but I thought we were beautiful. And, and then, you know, got better cameras in college and just kind of with the new technology, you can do so much more uh, in terms of like technical precision and controlling the way that your camera sees something and making that reflect how you see it. And uh, eventually I've, I've kind of found the right fit technologically for now. And I don't think it's any secret that, you know, as you just said, you know, you kind of explained this timeline, you've always loved the ability and the art of taking pictures. But initially, you didn't pursue a career in photography. Why not? Oh, I had no idea that that even was possible. Like, I grew up, you know, in a small town and creative careers. Like, if you told your school counselor that you were into art, then your one career option was to be an art teacher. And they would like fill you in on what that would look like and what your salary would be like. And normally you were, you were deterred from any sort of, I mean, that was in really the only creative career I knew existed um, or related to art. So taking pictures, I had no idea that there was such thing as a person who took pictures for money or even like in high school, I learned that there were designers. And that's when I was like, oh, I'm going to be a designer. And then I found like, modern architecture and was like, I want to be an architect. And so at some point I wanted to be every kind of designer because that was the first time I'd heard of creative careers, but I still had no clue that you could be a photographer um, and really didn't know that until probably college, but still had no, it never even crossed my mind that I could do that. Um, And maybe because I was so satisfied just doing it all the time for myself too. Um, 
that it, I, I just separated it. Like you take pictures because it's your compulsion and you have to, and that's what you do all day. But then you're going to have this career in, in public relations because that's what you go to school for. Like it was always separate in my mind. Yeah, there's like this social stigma that's like, oh, so you want to be an artist, so you want to starve, basically. Well, someday you have to grow up and, and get a real job. And I think that that is a very real social stigma for a lot of people that want to pursue creative fields, whether they want to be a writer or not. Um, you know, it's hard enough dealing with your own self-doubt, but then you have that sort of attached to it, and it makes it, like you said, sort of an impossibility. I mean, you can't do that. Uh, so... So you went to school and you, and you graduated and you got into the work. So what did you what did you sort of get into? What did you pursue right out of school? Um, so right out of school, or actually during my last spring break in college, I came here on a spring break vacation because my friend just knew that I would say yes if she asked. So I ended up on a whim going to SF for spring break and just totally falling in love with it and being like, I need to live here. Like. I now know that there are cliffy beaches and California is beautiful and they have really good food and I can't stay in North Carolina. So I moved here like two months later with like 40 bucks in my pocket and sold my car to pay a deposit on my first apartment. And pretty soon after that, I, I am kind of a city explorer and, and want to meet people as fast as I can. So I did some quick research and I knew the tech industry was here and I knew it was something that was you know, something I could get into. And I was super into the internet when I was in North Carolina and social media. So I just looked up what coffee shop has techies. And at the time it was this place called Epicenter. So I just started parking out at Epicenter with my laptop and working there all day looking for jobs. And go ahead. I was I was just going to cut in for a second and just say for those following along who who the very few who may not speak the native tongue, uh, SF is is San Francisco. So I just thought <laughs> I would throw that in there. Yes, San Francisco. <laughs> so I, yeah, I started camping out at Epicenter and met a bunch of people. Met um, a couple of musicians who at the time I loved the music scene and in college I would tour with bands as a photographer, and so I just started volunteering to help these musicians learn how to use the internet. And then at some point, a record label noticed my work and offered me my first job, uh, which I did for like six months and then got introduced to an actual PR firm in the tech industry. And then I jumped on that. And that was kind of my gateway into tech. And I spent the next few years working at startups as eventually head of communications. Yeah. And that brought you, from what I understand, that brought you out to the East Coast, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my last tech job I had um, brought me to New York. So moved there, was really excited about this new city. And, and, you know, my career was really, the trajectory was really good. Um, And I got there and was just kind of like, oh, I I don't like this at all. Um, And, and, you know, when you move to New York in November, you have the entire winter to be cold and like live in this dark wintry world and think about everything. Um, so for me having this realization of like, huh, it's another job that I don't love despite the fact that my career is going well, I'm really just, I'm not happy doing this work. Um, and I wasn't really sure what the solution was at the time, but I remember in the depth of that winter, like right around new year's, I was just sitting on my couch and 
decided, you know, if you're sad every day and you don't like your job and there's not much to look forward to, maybe you should do something every day that makes you happy. So at the very least, you can, you know, buy yourself some time and not go crazy because you have something that you're doing every day that that will make you happy and distract you from like the sadness of the fact that you don't like your job. And that thing was taking photos. Yeah, and you you describe yourself, it's funny on your on your bio on Tumblr, you re, you describe yourself as a recovering ex-techie. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so so you you very clearly didn't really enjoy your time obviously out there and you decided to sort of to quit as you say and take photos. What was the final push that was like Wait, I can I can try this. I can I can do what I really love to do and take photos. And what like what finally made you be like take that leap? Whew, well, I never knew that for sure. Um, more than anything, it was me just getting fed up and finally being like, I have to quit. But over those for the few months that I had between resolving to take pictures and quitting my job, um, I just once I started, I just couldn't stop. And I hadn't really been taking pictures at all those last few years I was in tech. And so once I picked the camera back up, it was just like I was just barfing out photos, just hundreds of photos every week. And they were a lot better than I remembered. So uh, something had changed and I didn't know what. And now I was just obsessed with taking photos. And every weekend was devoted to taking photos. And every weeknight was devoted to editing photos. And that was my new obsession. And and I was, you know, posting them on my blog and not really thinking too much of it, but um, they were getting good feedback. And I had a lot of photographer friends be like, you know, you could freelance if you thought about it. And it still really hadn't crossed my mind that taking photos for a living was an option. It was very much like, yeah, that would be amazing, but I can't do that. Um, and then at some point, I was just so ready to quit my job and and my my former boss who had already quit that job before me, I was talking to her and she said, go take a vacation and just think about it. And so I booked a ticket back to California to see my old friends and and think. And I got back from California and just quit my job the next day. It was just one of those things where I was like, I just can't wait anymore. I don't have any savings. I don't have a plan, but I just have to make this jump. And I will figure it out because I have no choice, you know? And we spoke last week and you said something really interesting. You said, you know, you were unhappy in the tech industry and at this job. But then you said, but come to think of it, I don't really remember being happy at any full-time job or company. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is actually something very common among people who end up obviously becoming solopreneurs or, or whatever it is, sole proprietors. Why do you think that is, that you, you can never really find that that fulfillment that you find now? Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, in general, I'm a very happy person and super positive and definitely always trying to find the, the best in everything. Um, I know that from the time I was little, uh, teachers would be really frustrated with me because if I didn't find that it was really relevant to my personal growth, I didn't want to do it if it was an assignment. And I was just like this weirdly stubborn, tiny child who would not count to 100 because I already knew how to do that. And that was a problem. And so I'm I feel like there might be some parallels in that a lot of the jobs that I had, I, I did get to learn a ton and, and I worked with really great people. Um, but just something deep down was like, this: why am I doing this? I just wasn't sure why I was devoting my, my heart and soul 
because you really do in a startup, you devote your entire life, every minute, your friends, your, your whole trajectory is, is all dedicated to building someone else's startup. And at some point I was like, why, why am I like this like sad, moneyless human who is like pouring her heart and soul into these products that aren't even hers and when she could be making something herself? And I think that's kind of when I started getting into making my own stuff again. So you took this trip, this soul-searching trip, back out to California. You come back and you quit. So what happened next? So did you have like, you kind of just alluded to that you didn't really have like this bulletproof plan. Oh, no. You, you, could, you couldn't have been as confident at, at that time that things would take you where they did. So what was next for you? You go and you make this big decision. And what were those first few weeks, months like for you? Um, a little scary. In my mind, it was going to take much longer for this to happen. In my mind, it was like, well, I can freelance. I can do some consulting work here and there. Um, you know, I can help people with branding or communications or product stuff. Cause I knew having worked in little startups, I knew how to do a lot of stuff from product stuff to biz dev, to PR, to branding, all this different stuff. So I knew that I could be valuable as a consultant and then maybe figure out, you know, find someone who would let me take pictures and then maybe slowly over time increase the photo to consulting ratio. Um, but right when I quit, um, a girl, an acquaintance from of mine that is now a friend who worked at Square totally reached out out of the blue and asked if I had any interest in taking pictures for Square in New York. And that was my first job. And I was like, this is amazing. It was a really tiny job in retrospect, but I was like, this is huge. And so I did that job. And, and so that was enough to make me be like, okay, this is possible. And this is an amazing first job. Like what an amazing opportunity. And then, and then from there, it got really scary for a minute where I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't have an income anymore and I have no money and I don't know what to do. But then I got referred to a job where I was going to be tasked with doing a day in the life project of three big tech companies, Dropbox, RDO, and Path. And, and the, the people in charge of the project, you know, a friend in the room happened to be like, I know a new photographer that happens to be really good at storytelling. Why don't we reach out to her? And that's how I got that job. And I did those three projects and lo and behold, it was something that the tech industry hadn't really seen before. Um, and so those just kind of spread like wildfire. And I've been booked pretty solid like ever since. Like I've just been kind of drowning in work ever since. And we're going to be, for the listeners, we're going to be doing a lot of what, I, what I'll coin right now is tech dropping in this, <laughs> in this podcast because Square, Dropbox, I mean, it, these, are, these, are, these are huge companies. And I want to get into that for a second. But you kind of touched on something that a lot of people, when they go off and they decide to follow their passion or whatever it is, sort of they ask themselves in that first little bit or even maybe before they, they take the leap to leave their job. It's just like, how do I get those first few clients? So what what advice, I mean, you just alluded to, it was a little slow at the beginning, so people can expect that. But what do you think was the most important thing for you that led to you being booked like you are now? So how do you get those first few clients and get the ball rolling? Well, I have people ask me this often, um, you know, like, how, how do I get clients? And my best advice 
to kind of new photographers or photographers wanting to build that clientele is really think hard about the kinds of photos that you want to take. And then you have to immerse yourself in that world. So for me, it was technology. And little did I know those years that I spent in the tech industry were those immersion years where I was meeting everyone that I could and doing favors and connecting people and, and doing good business and, and leaving a positive impact everywhere I could possibly go. And I didn't know that that would be for my photo career. I thought that was for my PR career and my biz dev career. But in reality, that was the, that was the foundation for me getting all this word of mouth in the tech industry. So when people ask me, you know, about how to do that. For me, it's like, well, you've got to think, do you want to be a music photographer? Do you want to be a food photographer? Do you want to be a fashion photographer? Like when you think about prolific fashion photographers, they live and breathe fashion. Like they aren't just sitting at home hoping that Vogue will notice them. Like they have over the years wiggled their way into every fashion event. They're friends with models. Like you, you just have to, if you, if you're passionate about a specific thing and you want to photograph it, you have to make it your life. And you have to, if you're tired and, you know, even a little older, you got to get back up and be social again and go out and really like not just be at tech parties or food parties. You have to know as much as you can about the subject matter, not just photography, but about the thing that you want to shoot. And that's when people hire you because they see you're passionate about it. And what about the level, like the uh, these high-profile clients? Like you do photo shoots for Ev Williams, founder of Twitter, <laughs> co-founder of Twitter, uh, Airbnb, and all these 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 really innovative, huge, big companies. Uh, you know, to to that degree, like how do you, how does one get that kind of work? I think it's a matter of word of mouth, simply word of mouth, and the fact that it's such a new industry, like. Tech did not care about photography just two years ago. Like when I worked in tech and was trying to convince the people I worked for to consider photography and visual storytelling, no one cared at that time. And then a couple of pioneers really stepped forward, like Airbnb or, you know, these mid-sized tech companies started to look up to people like Virgin America and, and these, these bigger brands that really use visual assets in a way that builds the business. And so that's when people were like, huh, photography is really something. And Instagram helped too, you know, just kind of teach designers and, and people in the tech industry that like, wow, visual storytelling is really powerful because I can't take my eyes off these photos. And that's really, really something. And so right around that time, tech needed a photographer and no one, no photographer had their eye on tech except for me because that's what I love and live and breathe. And so it was just crazy timing where in almost, you know, every conference room, someone was like, oh, I know this girl who used to be a techie who takes photos. So she totally like knows what we're about and we should use her. And I by no means think I was worthy of the shoots at that time. And, you know, I was just getting started and winging it. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to have to do a really good job. And so far, so good. So what is your approach when you're on when you're on location with these either these personalities or at these companies? Are you very sort of directive and like, I need you guys to try this? Or do you have a lot of creative freedom? Or, or do some of these companies already know what they want? And they're kind of, you know, sort of laying out the, the trajectory of what they want the shoot to look like? 
Uh, it goes both ways. Um, so, you know, I've done some big shoots that are a really high production and we have exactly 10 photos that we know exactly what they're going to look like. And an art director sketched them out and we have a crew of 30 people that are all there to make sure this shot is perfect. And then that's probably like 10%. And then the other 90% are companies, you know, and big companies who really haven't done photo shoots before. So they don't know really what they want and they want input and they want someone who's really collaborative and has ideas of their own. And I like being that kind of person. So it ends up being a great fit where if someone comes in and is like, we need lifestyle photos, but we don't really know anything beyond that. I can, now that I know a process that works really well in terms of production and I know all the pieces that go into photo shoots, I can just build it all out for them. Why do you think you're so good at this? And I know that's a tough question to ask, but like, you know, just going through your, your portfolio, obviously you're taking pictures of, of these very high profile and sexy tech companies, but you're doing like a, a very good job, obviously. Otherwise you wouldn't continue to get the, the kind of work that you get. Why, what is it about, I guess this kind of goes into the next question too, which is what does somebody need like uh, to be a great photographer, curiosity, these sorts of things. So, but why do you think you're so good at this? Ooh, that's a, that's a funny question, but thanks. Um, <laughs> I, well, I think that taking good photos um, is necessary, uh, and, but it's not everything. Like, there are so many people out in the world that take good photos. So for me, taking good photos does not make me an extraordinary photographer. It does not make me stand out. There are so many people out in the world that are making great images and making them on their phones and making them on, on things that completely have kind of democratized uh, the, the creation of photography. So a lot of photographers are pretty scared about that, um, but it's just kind of a reality. And so you really have to think a lot about how you can be different and how you can be better. And a huge component of that is a business component, whether it's just being really fun to work with and being really personable and making friends with people that you work with and, and being a joy to be with on set. Like for, in my opinion, uh, for anybody involved in a photo crew or photo production, if you're not a nice person, like there's going to be someone to replace you. So you have to be, you kind of have to be an awesome person to collaborate with. And there are, you know, just so many little business nuances that make clients feel like you really care about them and that you are deeply invested in their brand and the story that they're trying to tell. And, and a lot of that I got to learn on the business side, um, just of, you know, relating to humans and relating to business partners. Um, but it, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and I'm still figuring it out. Like, to be honest with you, I feel like I'm, I'm still a baby and I'm just getting started. <laughs> You spoke, I, I saw this uh, talk that you gave at a Creative Mornings out in San Francisco, and they really wanted you to, to touch on the freedom and the, you know, the creative freedom that comes with you know, quitting your job and following your passion and things like that. And obviously, one of the questions you probably get asked a ton is, you know, how do you do that? Like people are expecting a roadmap or some sort of you know, blueprint that they could follow that they could have a similar level of success as you've had. Um, but you spoke about during this talk and how there is no formula and you know about you know you, you talked about following your passion and creating art and making a living that no one's going to tell you what to do 
that was one of your takeaways. So, so what does that mean? Like, what is what is your advice to people that that come to you expecting some sort of secret that you may have discovered? Yeah, I mean, in one way, I kind of. I personally feel a bit of comfort in knowing that there's no way of doing it and that we're all just kind of figuring it out. Like every one of us are just all silently, you know, doing our own little struggle and figuring it out as we go. Um, You know, if you're lucky enough to find a mentor, that's fantastic. Um, But, you know, at best, you're learning the way that they did it. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the way that you do it. So for me, you know, even to this day, if I want to learn more about how to do business or kind of how to up my game from where I am right now, I just research and research and research, whether it's like reading interviews of people that I really admire or watching talks or like actually going and buying a a textbook from a, you know, an MFA program about studio lighting or, or watching YouTube videos on just little nitpicky things of like, what, what light setup does Annie Leibovitz use? And just, you know, just always researching and researching and researching. And, and the more interviews you read and the more videos you watch, you're like, wow, everybody does this differently. And then you just kind of have to tinker and figure out what's best. You know, for me, I've, I've done so much tinkering, not just with the way that I shoot, but the way that I do invoices and uh, choosing my day rate and how I structure different price points and, and how I interact with clients and how I deliver photos. Like everyone does it differently. And you just have to, you know, test the market and, and also be at least convince yourself that you're confident enough in your work to stand by it and know how to, how to sell it and justify your value. What are some of, you know, the handful of like really fun shoots that you've been on, uh, that were really memorable for you, whether it was the subject matter or just the nature of the shoot? Like what are some of the ones that you've had a ton of fun doing? Um, I'm probably to this day, my favorite shoot that I've ever done was also the most challenging that I've ever done. And it was for Uber right when I was getting started. It was like maybe five months after I quit my job and I had been recommended to help Uber with some brand stuff. And so I was popping into Uber here and there, um, you know, sitting in on, on meetings and, and doing a lot of work directly with the CEO. And he at some point sat down with me and was like, what are you doing next week? And I was like, I don't, I don't know, I guess coming into Uber. And he was like, nope, I'm going to have you go to Miami next week. And I need you to plan a creative campaign that is amazing and gets the attention of everyone in Miami and gets the attention of the government and the press. And, and I need you to come up with it and do it all by Monday. And I was like, okay, I've never done that before, but uh, okay, I will do that. So <laughs> And, and to, for background, Uber was illegal in Miami at the time. And the only obstacle to it becoming legal was the vote of one local government person who was heavily sponsored by the taxi industry. So we had options for how to educate the people on this issue. But for me, it was like, why don't we do a positive PR campaign where we go, we tap into this huge group of people who have requested Uber in Miami and let's go interview them about why they want Uber and actually, you know, figure out some, some interesting stories about why they feel like this would be beneficial to the city. And then we have the people of Miami telling the stories. We don't even have to tell it. And so I booked 
a couple of photographers to help me. I was also a shooter and the lead producer. We hired a creative director in Miami to go get street teams that were out, like handing out petitions, this whole other side of the campaign. But for us, we went and I booked 60 portrait shoots in three days and coordinated everything. And we were doing, you know, each of us a good handful of shoots a day. And we would take these people's portraits. We'd interview them about why they felt so passionate about Uber. And it was everyone from taxi drivers to like elite socialites to everyone in between. And we learned a ton. We learned about how, you know, the the taxi system was really not good, but it was a monopoly. And so there was no competition and there was tons of drunk driving and women felt super unsafe taking public transportation, but they often felt like there was no other option. And, and people were just really adamant about how a car service would be extremely helpful to such a kind of crazy party and professional culture that they have. And it was super tough to do, but we did it. We posted all the stories in real time. The press wrote about it. The city all knew about it. And it was a big deal. And and fast forward and Uber is legal in Miami now. But it was really, really amazing to be able to kind of create this project from scratch, um, take photos that I really liked. I love portraiture. Being able to pull these stories from people to uh, really put a, a positive angle on something that's very often villainized, um, just to be like, you know, this actually is, regardless of who implements it, this kind of system would be really good for the city. And it's really cool that we can be able to do a storytelling campaign to tell that story versus a company just preaching it. That's an amazing story. And I'm sure it probably led to a couple sleepless nights and emphasis on a couple because it doesn't sound like you had much time. Uh, No, (laughs) not at all. So it was well received, both obviously in the city and, and at Uber itself. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I I remember the head of design just like bowing down to me on the beach and calling me a god and telling me I could work there whenever I wanted to, which was very nice of him. Uh, <laughs> and I, I still get to work with Uber on a bunch of fun photo stuff. That's great. And and that kind of leads me into my next question is, could do you think you could ever see yourself working full-time exclusively for a company again? Oh, no. Nope. Um, I I don't think... I could ever be convinced, you know, at this point, I, I love what I'm doing. Like every shoot, even shoots that kind of feel repetitive at this point, like, Oh, another lifestyle shoot of people holding a product in their hand or another, you know, lifestyle culture shoot of an office. Like I still love them even though I've done them before. And I, I don't know, I get, I make way more money than I did when I had a full-time job. Like I run my own business. I'm my own boss. I just don't think you could pay me enough money to go and work for someone else again. Nothing against it, but I just feel like I've stumbled upon a treasure and I just have to keep working to make this work. You have stumbled upon a treasure and you've, you know, there's, there's a lot of people listening right now, I'm sure that have an idea or they have a passion They've thought about following it. They may be in the process of doing so. They may not think it's the right time. You've done this whole quit your job to follow what you love and do what you love thing. What can you impart to those people that are listening on your experience? Um, is there ever a right time? Like, what, 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 what would you share with these people? Um, I would say that 
it's there's no right time, there's no wrong time. I think there is a, a state of mentality that is really helpful no matter where you are, and that is just to make the most of it. And if you feel that you are stuck in a full-time gig and now is not the right time to quit, that's okay because you can make the most of that situation. You can take that time, do obviously an adequate job at your full-time job, but then take every other moment whether it's on the weekends or whether it's at night at home and concentrate all that other energy on the thing that you want to do. And don't forget that because you're working at a company, you have a ton of knowledge at your disposal. You can ask, you know, a head of marketing out for lunch or a head of biz dev or people who really have experience building that business. You can just use this as your time to gain knowledge from as many people in that environment as possible. And you'd be surprised at how much you learn. Like, I am so grateful that I worked in startups, even though I was kind of sad for most of it, because I learned how to build a business. And I was able to use that time knowing that it was temporary. I could glean as much information that I could and know that I have a guaranteed paycheck uh, that will, so I don't have to worry about, you know, dying or being homeless. And I can just make the most of the business day. And then I can make the most of nights and weekends. So kind of no matter where you are, know that it's this time is valuable to you if you use it well. And and talk about talk about that you you referenced the business day um you know after you've you've sort of you know what does the other side look like i guess um you know once you you have that autonomy and that creative freedom to sort of to do what you love and do what you're good at and do a great job of it you know we just spoke when we hopped on here today before we went live what uh what what were you up to today before before this podcast <laughs> today was an off day um <laughs> i woke up at 8.30. And then I went to the San Francisco Ferry Building with my bike. And then I got on the ferry to a tiny little fishing town called Sausalito with my friends. And I went kayaking. And then I had a glass of wine. And then I came back to the city and had a meeting on my phone. And then I sat down to this podcast. And that was my that was my Thursday. That's, a, that's an amazing day. So what is what is the typical, if there is such thing, day look like for you? Um, well, there's usually two kinds of days. I, I am just now learning to enjoy and make time for the day off, which I had today, which was amazing. Um, but there are shoot days, which are, you know, either me going to an office for, you know, four hours for a half day shoot or a full day shoot. Um, it could be at someone's headquarters. It could be a crazy campaign where we've scouted all kinds of locations around Northern California. Um, so those, those days are, are pretty tiring because, you know, they're physical and you're, there's adrenaline. And, and every time I finish a shoot, it kind of feels like you've climbed Mount Everest or something. You're just ecstatic and exhausted. Um, and then there are administrative days which if I only shoot a half day, then that also becomes an administrative day where you've got tons of emails, you've got editing, you've got your finances, you've got to make sure you remember to invoice, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then, you know, thinking about the actual building of your business, whether it's building your website or updating your book or building promotional materials or actually taking the time to think about who you want to work with and what do you want to learn this year to improve your work. Um, and pretty much the first year and a half of my career, every single day was a shooting day. Um, that shows how, how few photographers there were addressing the tech industry and how much demand there was. 
So those kind of days were like, get up, have a breakfast meeting, go shoot from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., get home, edit photos until two in the morning, maybe answer some emails, sleep, get up, do it again for like, sometimes I think my longest streak was like 42 days in a row, including weekends. <laughs> it was nuts. That's hustle. Um, that I would not recommend. I would recommend raising your rates when that happens. <laughs> um, but now I've found a really nice equilibrium where I have a few days off a month where I can just, I've done all my emails and I've done all my editing and, and I have a day where I can just sit and think and actually reflect, which is something that is undervalued, just taking the time to reflect on how your business has grown or how close you've come to achieving your goals. Or once you've achieved those goals, what do you do next? You know, that time of thinking is important. Yeah. And there's a lot like, and you do this, you're your employee. And so there's a lot that goes into the shoot, the, the editing and all of this stuff. So how do you stay inspired? Like what are some of the, the things that you do, the, the books that you read, the people that you follow? Uh, wh- how do you stay inspired? Like where do you go to for inspiration? Um, it's been a lot of different locations over the years. Like when I worked in tech, even though I wasn't taking photos, I was obsessed with using Tumblr to find photo inspiration. I, it's probably the most common platform that professional photographers use as their blog. Like I power my blog with Tumblr. And so there's just this treasure trove of incredible photography, both people sharing work of classic photographers, people sharing their own contemporary work. And that's where it's the only explanation I can have as to how my photos improved so much over the years without taking a single picture. It must have been because I was spending so much time studying the work of others and building preferences and studying light and and just that's the only explanation I can have for that. But nowadays, um, I try to be a little more focused in where I find inspiration. I've you know, spent years on, on Tumblr and looking at Instagram and looking at, at the work of everyone else. And I have a pretty good idea of, of the way that I want my work to grow. And so then it's like, okay, who are the best people at shooting in those styles? And how can I study their work in hopes of improving where I want to improve, whether it's in lighting or whether it's in creating a mood or that sort of thing. So you just mentioned before that, you know, you have a really booked schedule. What are some shoots that you have coming up that you're really looking forward to? Um, I, I feel like I, it feels weird to talk about new clients that I have. Um, but I just completed some really great projects for medium and Twitter again and Uber again. And it feels really good to have these solid relationships, um, put in place. I am about to go to Europe for a month where I'm going to be working on some travel projects with Tiny Atlas, this travel magazine that I love working with. And I really want to get more travel work, uh, paid travel work in my life. Um, And so from here, it's kind of like really just continuing to build and maintain the the commercial business that I've done. I want to get more into editorial. It doesn't pay nearly as well, but it's really, uh, you get to make amazing work and you get access to amazing situations and you can create work that really feels like your own. Um, So I'd like to do more in that direction and, and just start to diversify a little bit. For me, it's like, what what's next? That's the big question. A month in Europe, that sounds amazing. Uh, so I, I, I follow you on Instagram, and I saw the other day you had posted something. You were at the new the new Facebook digs. Oh yeah. How 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 is that? Like that isn't it? Like they have their own like rooftop uh, like forest or some, some crazy <laughs> stuff like that. 
Yeah, it was beautiful. They've uh, Frank Gehry designed this incredible building for them. It's one huge structure. You know, everyone or everyone who could fit just works in one gigantic room. And it's full of, they've pulled in tons of artists to make really incredible works of art. Um, they have a piece or two that used to be in the MoMA that, you know, I'd seen in the MoMA and now it's sitting there in Facebook and uh, it's, it's kind of like being in an art museum. And then, yeah, we ate lunch on the rooftop, which is one g- giant park. It's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see, you know, how tech companies are growing and, and how they're, you know, appreciating more and more the work of creative artists and starting to partner with them on stuff. And I don't know, it's just, it's fun to see things grow. I remember, you know, when Twitter had 300 employees and I used to go eat lunch in their little office and now they've got thousands. And it's just, it's been really fun to watch these companies grow into something really, really big and impactful. And to see how committed they are to the experience of the employees and, and like you said, creating that, that environment uh, for creativity to exist. I think that it's been unprecedented really before the Facebook, Google, Twitter, you know, sort of ecosystem. It's just like you're seeing this commitment even in smaller companies now and startups where they're just so committed and, and, and focused on creating an environment where innovation can exist. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's a good place to be a part of right now. So where can people find more about you? I know you have uh, artwork everywhere. You're, you're on Twitter, you're on Tumblr, you're on Instagram. Where can people follow you and, and connect with you? Um, well, I'm kind of all over the place. My main work is on my website at helenaprice.com. And I have the blog link on there. Um, I'm on Instagram, which is mostly just my day-to-day photo diary where I post kayaking photos and photos of my cat. And that's at Helena Dagmar, which is just a nickname, not my actual real name. Um, And yeah, on my website, you can find links to pretty much every place I exist on the internet. On Twitter, I'm just at Helena, where I just ramble whatever's in my head and sometimes share an occasional valuable link about creative stuff. That's impressive that you were able to uh, acquire at Helena, but I guess it pays to have some friends over there, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword, you know. Uh, there's a lot of of people who like to just mention at Helena for whatever Helena they they have in mind. So I get a lot of at mentions for Helena Bonham Carter and Helena Montana and uh, you know random uh, you know people's friends, Helena Brazilian soap opera stars, like everything. It helps your cloud score, so I'm sure that's good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it all boils down to. <laughs> Helena, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out and, and sharing your story. It's so much fun to hear about uh, somebody who did, who did something that was they were just unsure of, and it turned out so well, because I think so many of us try to calculate things to the point where there's going to be certainty, and I don't think that's going to happen in most cases. So thank you so much for coming to hang out and share your story. You're, you're so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, That's Helena Price. I'm John Vanini. Uh, For all the listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you like it, share it, comment, uh, and share it with all your friends. Um, And for everyone out there, we will see you on the next episode. So long, everyone. Bye.